Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Pirie and Elizabeth Zhivkova. Co-hosting this episode with the curator, artist and founder of art charity Migrate Art, Simon Butler, we are meeting the Nigerian artist Ken Wadiogbu, whose work is focused on gender equality, African culture and black power. Named by Guardian Life as one of the most outstanding personalities of 2019, in this candid conversation, Ken shares with us his thoughts on how to listen and respond back to the society, what challenges has he been facing as a Nigerian artist and what is contemporaryism. Hello everyone, welcome to Zeitgeist 19. I have to say today we are recording a very special interview. Ken, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this conversation with us. And Simon, I'm so grateful to you for making it all happen and co-hosting this episode with me today. I will start with my first question, Ken. Can we go back to the very beginning of your journey? I would like to know how was the social political consciousness shaping and reflecting in you throughout your uh, personal and professional practice? Um, I, I like the question a lot because then you realize that I like to tell the story of how I started because that's when you get to understand where I'm coming from or the kind of conversations I'm making my works. And when I started, I, I, I grew up in a society where everybody wanted to be an engineer or a lawyer or a medical doctor. So I grew up in a society that frowned on hidden talent, on personal, you know, on being yourself, basically. I grew up in a society where you had to be that person that was easily easily employable. So everything you do, every um, reaction you had, every, you know, how you study in school, you know, pointed... um, stem back to that fact that you need to be employable. You need to finish from school, become that person that you need to wear the tie and push up your tie and look clean and look smart so that you can get accepted in these companies and in these businesses. And I was just lucky personally to be stubborn. (laughs) I say it as luck. I was lucky to be stubborn because it's my, it was that, you know, attitude that I had to life and the fact that I needed to, you know, enjoy myself regardless of whether I was doing something that was going to be lucrative or not. And, you know, I had that feeling in my year one. And what happened was I'm in school, I'm, you know, being in school, doing all my school things, trying to pass my friends, everybody debating on who is going to be the first and second, who's going to take the first class. And I'm in my university and I'm, you know, always distracted during my, my lecturers when they are teaching. And I draw them in this caricature manner. And that's when my friends knew that I could draw, that I had talent for drawing. And, you know, there was this point where I was just, you know, reading overnight. This was like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I can't remember what time it is, but overnight. And then my friend hit me up because I was outside. We were reading like in this, like a surrounding. And my friend came to me and told me that, yo, there's this guy that's joined the dean of uni like at that time. And all I could think was think of was that it should be like every other regular drawing that I had in my head. But when I got there, this guy was drawing 
so hyper-realistic, the Dean of Guinea Life. And he, he was a geology student. He wasn't even in the art department. And then he hit me, clicked, like, wait, why can't you do these things that you love without having to, you know, compromise it for things that you don't like because of what the society says? So, you know, I picked up the interest. I wanted to know more. I wanted to know what, what is it, what, how can I get to this level where I can enjoy myself drawing this, this quality of, you know, this, these ideas and these works and then still be lucrative, still find a way to you know, make it, give me back what I need from it. And I started researching art. And that's when I fell into, you know, I saw the art world and I, you know, I got to know about, you know, certain things in the art world. And I got to know about this guy called Kevin Okafor at that time, who was a hyper-realist. I still hyper-realist drawing amazing works. And I, you know, got the interest. And the interest turned into obsession. And while I'm in school, I'm thinking of, oh, what's the next thing to create? (laughs) And... Then that's how everything started for me. And from that, I opened a business that I started drawing my friends' friends, people's birthday for birthday parties, for, um, you know, engagement parties. That, um, someone has a, um, someone's wife is doing birthday, calls me to draw her. I, start, I became a portrait artist and I started create, getting funds from it. And that's how, you know, it just started and kept building up to that point where I realized that, you know what, well, I want to be creating my own stories in my canvas. I don't want to be drawing someone who I don't know, who I have no connection with, or who I do not, you know, know their stories. And I want to create people that I know, that I know, that I, I believe that their own conversations can influence other people's um, um, thought process or ideas. And then I realized that I was also gifted with the fact that I had amazing people around me, people who told me the truth, about life, people who revealed secrets about the government, about the people, about certain things. And I was like, I need to put that in my work too. I need to like include that because it's something I had to, you know, fight, fight, you know, fight through school. You know, people laughing at you, saying that, yo, you're studying engineering and you're wasting your engineering career for art. You know, people, you know, people just, you know, suppressing your talent and your opinion and your freedom to express and to speak and to do what you wanted to do. And I wanted to challenge that. I felt that, you know, it would be cool to challenge that. It would be cool to start a revolution in some sort, even though other people started it before me, but... (laughs) It'd be good to start a revolution between my friends to tell them that, you know, you can do what you want to do and you can still be comfortable doing it. And then I started to create work for myself. I started to create works that meant a lot to me. And a lot of people started connecting with it because I realized that these things were not just happening in Nigeria. They were happening every other place in the world, everywhere in the world. Somebody from Ghana is like, oh, we experienced that. Somebody from Ethiopia is like, oh, we experienced that. And I began to see value and I began to see the way my art sort of tied into these conversations with social political issues and, you know, tackling certain things in society, tackling social things in society, tackling political conversations. And I began to infuse that in my work. And then my work just became, for me, became something that, you know, I'm always interested. Like, I was always eager to create something anytime things happen to me or things happen around the society. So my my own words, I believe that the society speaks and we listen. A lot of people listen to the society, but very few people tend to reply to society. 
I believe that replying the society is the only way we can form and sort of mold the society to what we want it to be. So I tend to sort of reply the society occasionally on what is going on around the world. I think that's why we became friends because they're both very stubborn people, actually. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so moving on to your kind of recognizable style, and you've you've coined this term contemporarism, um, and anyone that's seen your work will see kind of um, a use of kind of cut out portraits with zoomed in facial features um, and uh, almost a collage aesthetic. Um, and I was just wondering where this kind of mm. intersecting identities came from and um, what you're trying to say with this sort of meaning behind your work. Yeah, um, um, the, the idea behind the cutouts was, so let, let me tell you, let me take you through another journey. <laughs> I, I first had, um, I first fell in love with um, hyperrealism. And from hyperrealism, I stumbled upon this art done by G.D. Hubery and a lot of um, Trump Lorel artists where they paint 3D paintings on the street. And I realized that I was not a graffiti artist. Um, I was not going to pull something off like that because you couldn't find spray cans or I couldn't afford spray cans when I started art. So I was in the impression that how can I create three dimension in a flat surface that no matter the angle you turn, it still looks so realistic that you can't not tell until you come so close to see the details and you're like, oh, that is just a paper. And I began to, you know, try errors, try errors until I got, you know, that easy way to create that, you know, that um, realism possible, that illusion possible. And that got me into drawing my friends, trying to, because then I, I became very obsessed with trying to talk about, you know, coming out of your shell, coming out of your comfort zone. So I started drawing all my friends, trying to like tear papers, trying to whip the papers and come out. And then I got a conversation, I, I got into a conversation with a curator and it's like, you know, well, be yourself, like talk about something that is, use your own personal experience to sort of like bring out the best art that you can bring out. And I remember that my personal experience um, is that, first of all, I don't see people the way I believe other people see people. I hardly see the beauty before. I, I, I first see the mind and I see the eyes and I'm, I'm so ghostly with the eyes and I stare at the eyes and people find it very weird to talk to me because they're like, they're staring at my eyes too much. But then you tend to find the truth in the eyes when you see the people, you converse with the people, you tend to stare you know, eye to eye with the pe- with the person. And I also stemmed that from almost losing my eyes, right? Because earlier in my in my in my childhood, um uh, when I was a child, I was playing with my brother and the handle of the door sort of pierced my eye. So I always lost this eye. And all I could I, I couldn't see with the eye for a couple of months. And all I could think was, you know, that moment in my life was all about the eyes. My mom would be like, use the eye drop. I'd be like, my eyes failing me. Uh, when I went to school, my friends would laugh at me that I have big eyes. And, my, and they'll call me Cyclops. And I'll come back home and my mom is like, the eyes, the gateway to the soul. The eyes sees the world. The eye, your eyes are supposed to see. The bigger the eyes, the more the world you see. Uh, the more of the world you see. And throughout almost five, six years of my life, was all about the eyes. So I, when the eye conversation started popping out in my joints, I, I, I wasn't 
I wasn't scared of creating works that you know that was connected to me. I felt that that was you know that that sort of connected deep with me, like that sort of explained who I was. And I needed people to start seeing people that same way, you know, see people different from their clothing or their jewelries or the hair they make. I remember painting my friends, they'll be with beards. Tomorrow they cut out their beards and I'm like, why? Like, there is so much difference between the previous painting and the new paintings. How do you paint the real identity of a person? I just clicked that it was the eyes. You cannot change the eyes. The eyes will always remain the same from young to old to however old you grow. The eyes will always tell the truth. And if I can highlight the eyes as a significant factor of people's being or people's consciousness or the, you know, the fact that, you know, this is me and this is my real self. Then if I can keep putting the, if I can keep, if I keep, you know, putting that eyes in and replacing it with the human physical form, then I think that I can send the message quickly that, you know, we are more than just our physical body. We are deeper and we need to start looking at the real conversations and the truth between behind our, our existence and our identity. So that was where the whole cutout coming from. Then when I started doing it, a lot of people started calling me hyper-realists. People called me contemporary artists. People didn't know. People called me surrealists. People called me because then you realize that so many elements are now being included in my works. I'm using collage. I'm doing paintings. I'm doing sculpting. I mean, I'm making installations. And I realized that, you know, I have a bit of hyper-realism in it. And then I add any other thing I could add. I felt, I told my friend outside and I'm like, but oh, that, that means I'm a contemporary artist. And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, you know what? That's what I call myself, contemporary artist, because what I'm doing is adding every contemporary element in my hyper-realism, sort of pop it up and bring more conversations to it. And I think that is how basically movements start. I don't know how it starts, but, you know, for me, I, I like the name and I, and I stuck with the name and I keep sticking with the name because I like it. Amazing. Um, another thing that I really love about your work is your use of cardboard. Can you sort of tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, so uh, I get I get really excited to try out new things. Oh my god! So when I when I when I first did my first cardboard work, it was it was a it was a big red piece of a guy with a eye cut out. And it's called um, We Are Not Packaged Goods. And I saw how the, the charcoal and the paint, sort of like the cardboard, sort of like soaked in the paint. And the paint became the cardboard and the cardboard became the paint. And it was different from canvas where after you paint on the canvas, it's easy to peel out the paint from the canvas. But in this side, it kind of like come together. Like you see the, the lines in the cardboard, you see all the dents and all the you know, the history of where that cardboard has been in, been to how it has gone, how they've treated it, how it has been maltreated. If they press the cardboard, you see that press, you see that dent there. And I got interested in using the cardboard to represent, you know, the struggles and the, you know, you know, stories and the conversations behind different people, especially migrants. And what I got connected with my, my great, how I got connected to migration was, I realized that most of the packages I ordered while I was in London, right, they came in 
cardboard boxes. And that's different from, from Lagos. Because when you order things from Lagos, they come in plastic bags. Some people can hand the item to you, like, take. And, but in London, all of them came in like cardboard boxes. And I was quite interested in how, you know, to make that, com- to use these boxes. Because my whole apartment was filled with boxes. All I could think of was some of the cardboard we had, were creased. Um, some of them had dents. Some of them tore. And, you know, I realized that these cardboard boxes are actually migrating. And they are being tossed around by the certain people who handle them. Before it gets from point A to point B, it would have gone through a series of, you know, mishandlement of, you know, of, you know, to, you know, of migration moving through past the sea or, you know, flying on the air. So it, it definitely moves from point A to point B. Some of the cardboard boxes, some of the items in the cardboard boxes are made from, they are made in Mexico. So that means, in Mexico, they took the item, put it inside the box, covered the box, took it all the way to probably US. US saw it, took it from US to UK. So these cardboard boxes migrate, and you tend to see a bit of the history of their migration on their on their surfaces. You see the dents, you see the crease, you see the depths. And I said to pay attention to that, and I was like, you know what? This is a conversation. This is how migration feels like. Because I've been there, I've gone from Lagos to London and from Lagos to South Africa and I've tried to go from Lagos to US and they cancelled my visa and I could see the issues with migration of black people around the world and I thought you know what let me connect that to the cardboard boxes because then instead of sinks and let me explain to people how you know migration fears for you know a lot of Africans out there so Cardboard as an analogy for migration. This is brilliant. I would like to dive deeper into the very meaning of your work and uh, some of it you uh, you have just been mentioning. I would like to know how do you see your canvas as a tool for social change? We know that the focal point of your uh, of your work is on black lives, exploring and raising awareness of such themes as police brutality, racism, gender inequality. Can you elaborate more on this? And what project uh, would you highlight that spoke to your heart the most in relation to these pressing issues? Like my, like I said, I I access the society and I reply to society. And if when you, well, I realize that this happens everywhere. But I'm a Nigerian, so I say Nigeria. When you come to Nigeria, you realize that these things exist, right? And they exist not because. It's not because they are supposed to exist. They exist because many of us are not talking about it. Right? Everybody's just like, okay, let's let's just yeah, happens, man. Let's just deal with it. And I realized that you know you have to talk about it. And so my aim was always to talk about it. And I realized also that art is like a placard. You know, when you have this placard and you write them, bring back our girls, right? But instead of reading words, you bring it to visual elements, right? So it's almost still represented as a black as a plaque, as a, as a tool for change and a tool for protest. So if I can create something similar to that conversation and create it visually, I feel like it can draw people in. People can get interested in what the conversation is about. Then you can understand the conversation. Then you can relate to the conversation. And then there's something about art that it sticks to your head. When you go out the next year, you think of the work and you're like, ah, I saw this work somewhere. 
and this is how you know this is what the artist was trying to you know, pass across. And I saw art like that. I, I, I've created a lot of works, and I've had people DM me and say, "Oh, this is what this thing. Oh, this is how this thing opened my mind. Oh, this is what happened to my daughter." And I, I was really, I, I was really fascinated by people's replies and people's um, opinions about the work. And I, you know, I got interested in doing more of that to in, in sort of applying the society more. And also, you know, representing the people that, you know, that around me, people that, that have experienced these things, the people that have, um, that have been there. I want them to tell, you, tell it to, you know, to the viewers or, or, or you know, be the ones to you know, that conversation, make that conversation. So most of them, I use their eyes to like, replace the images you can see deep into their eyes and see that they've gone through it before they've experienced it and maybe it can even you know something i don't know artist spirituals i like to think that it, it has a lot of spiritual effect on people and um that that basically sums up a lot of my career a lot of my you know um projects basically the first one I had with Think Space in March was called Ubuntu, and it was my solo exhibition in Los Angeles, which was amazing. And it was me speaking about how, how we need to come together with love. Ubuntu is an African term, meaning I am because we are. Basically, I cannot be a doctor if I don't have a patient. If I cannot be a lawyer, there is no case. I cannot, I cannot survive or exist without you I cannot be in an interview if there's no fire. So there is always going to be a need for us to coexist together, right? We make communities, but imagine the whole world was a community and you didn't have, you know, you didn't have people hating this set of people or these people being, I know that is a human thing, but everything is, has been influenced. Everything has influenced us. So why not speak about love and see how we can influence people too? So Ubuntu was the title of the exhibition, and that was the conversation that I go through all these in my country. You should also go through this in your country. That means we are so much alike. There's, 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 there is a connection. There is, and we need to understand that we need to come together to make the world a better place. And then I did um, the one in a bomb factory just recently called Journey Mercies, which is basically about migration and the the, the, you know, the difficulty for Africans to sort of migrate to different parts of the world, to explore, to, to create, to, to be, you know, to express. Because, you know, we need to be able to express ourselves for, for us to be able to tell you the truth, right? Um, the media has been, has always, has always messed everything up. The media has been, is owned by people and people can have biased views on certain issues or certain um, conversations. And I feel art is like the one thing that, you know, removes that bias that brings the truth on canvas and tells you to understand the truth and, you know, make what you want to make from the truth. And I believe that, you know, my art has been you know, successful in doing that. Um, so as a Nigerian contemporary artist, what issues are you facing and addressing in your artistic and professional practice? Oof. So many issues. <laughs> uh, uh, one, of it stem, one of it is not being able to express 
completely. I remember I had an interview with um, uh, an amazing podcast, um, 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 and he, we spoke about a, a particular project that I worked on called The King's Diary. And The King's Diary was, you know, wearing a woman with the regalia of an oba. And an oba is a king in Nigeria. And a king is a king. And a queen is a queen. And no queen should take the position of a king in both as a tradition, right? But I believe that what makes a king a king, you know, in those days was because king people went to wars and the leader of the war who conquered the other, um, the other clan, you know, they are being praised as kings, right? But when you think of, you know, the past, you realize that women too went to war, go to the beginning kingdom. You see, women fought, women conquered, women, you know, they were part of the, of the whole, you know, of the whole, of the whole, you know, of the greatness of the beginning kingdom. So what I did was I went back in time. I picked some of my friend ladies and who felt like I felt like they could embody the Dahoma princesses and I sort of like wore them the regalia of the Oba. And it caused a lot of controversy. People messaged me on Instagram. A lot of Nigerians, a lot of Nigerian galleries didn't want to show it. Um, I but it showed in Artex Lagos, which was awesome. It's, it was the restriction to express that kind of conversation that helped that, you know, made me understand that, you know. You couldn't express completely in Nigeria. You had to, like, you know, you had to be in your language or the way you represent things or you didn't have to be blasphemous or you didn't have to be this and that. But when you go out, if you're on part of world, you have that freedom to express, that freedom to explore. And I felt like Nigeria did not have that. And But now, you know, the art community is growing. Everything is growing. So I hope that, you know, the, the mentality and the ideas and you know, that, that um, need for creativity sort of keeps expanding. And once it expands, I feel like you'll be able to see a lot of Nigerian visual artists speaking about really powerful creation that could basically you know, change the society and where we live. We've woken up. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of noise now on artistry, on creativity, and then and that's why I feel like in the next 10 years, Nigerian art will be, will be blooming. And you see a lot of artists speaking about really powerful conversations in the country. That leads us nicely on to what's next for you. Um, what do you feel like is urgent and um, for the narrative of your work right now? And I just want to keep, you know, building that idea of the cardboard boxes. Believe that, you know, more people need to understand it. I had people come to the gallery in the show and they were like, oh, wow, so this is, what, this is how it happens. Because they realize that people in London or in US, it's easy to travel. They just wake up and they're like, oh, I'm traveling to um, France tomorrow and then go straight up. But us, we need to, you know, we need to like plan it. You need to, I get the visa. It's a whole process. It's a whole ceremony. Um, so I'm going to have a solo show with w one q later this year, and some other couple of some other shows with really interesting projects. A lot of interesting projects. We're having a, trying to be, um, work on 
an outdoor sculpture and really i'm meeting an nft this year which is really exciting it's an amazing um, residency i'm in right now which is the, the voice residency and many other beautiful projects i i, I can't i can't wait to keep working on them and sharing people what what I can do and even the beauty of art and the conversations I represent. This is fantastic. And uh, unfortunately, our episode is coming to an end. But before we wrap up, uh, sometimes we play this association game. Happens very rarely, I should say. But with the conversation we were having today, it's just so inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) I would really love to do it. And I'm very curious to hear your answers. Uh, So if that's okay. Um, I have five words here. uh, And as you hear them, please tell me the first associated word or phrase. Let me... Oh, 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 can you do an example with Simon? (laughs) Can you do an example with Simon? (laughs) Okay, yes, yes. Let's do it. Okay, so, (laughs) for example, um, migration. Um, travel. Culture. Uh, uh, paintings. Okay, great. <laughs> so, shall we? Shall okay. We <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, Ken, so, home. Yeah. Lagos. <laughs> Violence. Police. Identity. Eyes. Eyes. <laughs> eyes, wow. Uh, eyes. Um, experience. Oh, wow. <laughs> and finally, your canvas. Placard. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I try I try to find the most on like the word that basically you will have in mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was great. What a great note to finish on. And thank yeah. you so much, Ken, for this inspiring and candid conversation. Thank you, Farah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Simon, for this introduction. Thank you, thank you Simon. Oh man, it's a pleasure.